You're listening to Creative Thursday, episode number 311. Welcome to Creative Thursday with Marisa Ann Cummings. We're talking all things life, business, and creativity with a special focus on helping artists confidently and consistently sell their creations to their ideal collectors online. Intended to inspire and empower you wherever you are on your creative journey, both personally and professionally. Enjoy and thank you for listening. Hello, I just realized it's 311 on May 11th. And today is my mom, my mama, uh, Erica's birthday. And it's also Mother's Day coming. Happy Mother's Day to all the mamas out there. And I wanted to do something special today. Well, it's first of all, it's my mom's birthday on this Creative Thursday, but this is something that I've wanted to do honestly for years. And I'm so glad that we made the time to do this. And hopefully this will be the first of maybe a few episodes because my mom has quite an amazing life story. And as we talk about, you know, at this season of life for both of us. I'm really interested in knowing her as a person, not just, you know, my relationship to her as a daughter, but who she is, all of her from the time that she was born to living into her 80s. Now, I want to understand more and just know her. And this is an opportunity for me to do that. I thought that it would be fun for you. I hope that you will enjoy this. This is you know, very selfishly an opportunity for me to stay connected to my mom's story, to have it available to me, to us, to future generations. And I also, you know, we talked about it a little bit at the end after we paused the recording. I believe that by us sharing our stories, it's incredibly powerful and healing. You know, I'm a huge podcast fan. You know, I'm a huge documentary fan. I love knowing people's stories. I love knowing your stories. I love hearing about stories. And it's really in the times that are the most challenging for me, it's very often someone else's story that really helps me to keep the big picture in mind and stay focused on my dreams and and what I envision doing in this life. And it reminds me, you know, it reminds me to stay connected to something greater than me and that it's that all is well. And I will find my way in this adventure that we all share called life. And so I hope that you will enjoy this episode. Certainly, uh, please let me know if you do. I think we'd both be happy to share more with you. And either way, we'll be recording them so that I have them, but it's something totally different. We did not uh, talk about art or business per se, a little bit, but not really. So it's not your usual Creative Thursday episode. It's really an episode to celebrate my mom, 
to feel gratitude for a lot of what she's taught me to appreciate her life. We talked a lot actually about my grandmother, her mom as well. And so it's sort of a multi-generational story to share with you that may inspire you, I hope, on this Mother's Day weekend and have you think about your mom and appreciate her and her story and what she's gone through to be where she is in life. And so I'll just leave it there. And I I uh, introduce you to my mom, Erica Cummings, and enjoy this uh, conversation that we shared with one another. And happy birthday to uh, my mama. All right. Until next time, enjoy. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, hello, my beautiful daughter. Thank you. <laughs> hello, my beautiful mama. Uh, so we can, as I was sharing, we can go many different directions, but I thought that we would start, we would start at the beginning of your story, what, wherever you feel inspired to start in terms of, is it your arrival on this planet? <laughs> Where you arrived to, how it's been going since as we, as this will air on your, on your birthday and goodness, you have had a long and beautiful and full life so far would you say exciting yeah <laughs> <laughs> um un, unplanned sometimes yeah the life the life not, not, not i'm talking about life in general would you would you agree with the famous uh john lennon lyrics that life is what happens while you're busy making other plans yeah how true how true i was just thinking about that this morning how things in my age so I'm 84 looking back at my life and that's what you really tend to do as you get older and have more time is um, how things came together in uh, in one's life Um, a lot of it is yeah as it is it's unplanned or just hoped for and uh, then it arrives or it doesn't arrive. It's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I often think, I said, how, how did I get into this direction? Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's revealing. So anyhow, I was born 1939, and that was the year the Second World War started. That's when Germany um, invaded Poland. So really, you're looking now at what happens in Ukraine. It brings back a lot of really unpleasant and painful memories because yeah. looking at how Ukraine is being bombarded now and always the women, children suffer the most and then looking at what um, we had to go through um, is, is, uh, is, is painful and the world, the people will not learn. You know, it was just horrific, the Second World War. And here we are after so many years of relative peace. It's starting up or has started up again. 
I'm just curious if you have any theories around that. Is it is it just that we forget? Is it that new generations have new new frustrations, um, angst, or or is it leftover frustration? Do you have theories on on what's happening there? Well, I think it's it's less the population; it's more who is in government. And when you get uh, uh, narcissists and uh, power grabbers and, uh, in, in the government, and at one point they have such power, and then they always have a certain amount of following. And these are people who attach themselves to human beings like that. And the next thing you know, it's another war. I, I know the Russian population doesn't want this war. Germany, Germans didn't want this war, but then there's a lot of this uh, negative, um, negative spirit that circulates, you know, that comes from um, uh, the head, like like we have been through here again, where uh, so much um, ugliness is being used, and so many lies are being used to to start whatever uh, a group of people want. If you ask the general, the majority of, of, of people in every country, in any country, uh, they don't want that either. So it's. Uh, yeah, we just want to have safety and care for our loved ones, right? When we talk about what is shared among most human beings, is exactly. that we want well being, health, yeah. well being. And with all the safety. travel, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. And with yeah. all the travels I have done all these years, one thing I've always found in every country the same. It's parents, especially mothers, trying to protect their family, trying to protect their children. This is unique. This is everywhere. And yes. uh, uh, anyhow, yeah. Yeah. And if you look, if you look at uh, who starts these miseries and the wars, it's men. Yes, and hopefully. Some of that is starting to shift and change. Do you think that it's important to, I mean, I I think so. That's one of the reasons, you know, that I've invited you to share your story, not only because I would love to know more about it and understand more about it, but also I think it's really important that we share these stories so that we stay connected to those universal truths that bond us, you know, regardless of what our various beliefs are or where we live. And also to remind us to maybe not be repeating the past, you know, or to have awareness of things that have come before us, come before us so that we're, we're just not in a silo of our own generation I mean, I definitely see that now. Of course, you can only see that later where when you come in as a newer generation, you think you know everything and everything that came before you is wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Well, maybe only part of that, but you always think that you can do it better, which is also a really wonderful part of that generation, you know, coming in because there are things we can always do better, but there's a lot that actually works that we don't have to dismantle that we, that we might want to appreciate more or, you know, bring forward. You're right. This is a privilege of of use that uh, they do bring this this new wave, new ideas, and eventually they will find out some of it will work and some of it uh, uh, is better to adapt from previous generations. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. But we don't, (laughs) we learn through experience. We do. And that's also part of our journey. I don't think you can especially if we talk about it from the parenting perspective, you can't do that for your children, can you? As much as you want to, probably, you have to let them explore and discover and make mistakes and and learn and discover some more as part and, of their life experience. Yeah, and, and that's where mothers have a lot, fathers too, have a lot of problems with that because we try to um, we try to influence from our vantage point even later and you've really let as a parent you have got to let loose let go and even if you see that they're making mistakes they these are their own mistakes and that's that's how they learn that's how children learn but sometimes it's difficult to watch is it is it <laughs> I'm talking in general. <laughs> Any specifics? That you... <laughs> well, I I thought that maybe um, I know going really early in life with what you've been through is is tender, and I thought that we might talk about. I was thinking now as you were opening with this part of your story. Do you think that you felt inspired to leave Germany so early as a way of maybe breaking loose from what you grew up in? And was that something, I'm sure you didn't do it consciously. I know you went on vacation to Italy, but but you didn't come back, right? Was this when you were 18? Well, yeah, the, not even the vacation that happened to, you know, the company I worked for uh, just let us all go because they uh, merged with another company that was LI, LAI, the Italian airline at the time became Alitalia. And uh, so here I was and one of the flight attendants I had gotten to know says, oh, gee, I have a big apartment in Rome. Uh, there's a spare room, a bathroom, and I'm never there. Why don't you come and stay with me? And I still had a free flight. He said, oh, great, yeah. So it, there was no second thought. It was just the, the experience. I had a bit of an adventuresome spirit there. When did yeah, actually a lot. When did you first recognize that you had that adventuresome spirit? Well, when I was, I think it was 10 or 11, I happened to see an airplane take off, a passenger plane somewhere. I don't remember where now. And I decided I want to fly and I wanted to see the world. So it started very early. And I've always talked about it. And then when it, 
I was not able to uh, go to university because Helmut was the one who was to go and two couldn't at the time go. And we didn't have uh, uh, student loans at that time, things like that. So he went to university and Oma and Opa made it possible. They had just opened up what they called an aviation school, private school that taught you basics about from being a ticket agent to even um, air control to understand how airplanes took off and landed. So it was a six month course and I did that. And we also visited um, the airport and I got the job with LAI as, as a ground hostess and ticket agent. And the reason I got that is because when I was about 12 or 13, I heard Italian, an Italian phrase, and I was so fascinated with the language that I went out and, and got little tapes, you know, these tiny little cassette tapes, the brown tape. And every Sunday, every weekend, when everybody went off with a car someplace, I would stay home and I would learn Italian. And one of the first sentences was, la lingua italiana è bella e melodiosa. Yes, I, I learned enough to actually got me the job uh, with LAI, so just enough. But you didn't know, you weren't learning it at the time, to, thinking you would get a job, right? You were learning no, it no, you felt just, passionate about learning. But that language, yeah. Lear, right, learning, I love learning and, and, and the language itself. It's a very melodious language. No, I had no idea that... Uh, this was going to go that way, yeah. Yeah. So then that's... I landed in, in Rome and uh, oh, she said, why don't you stay longer? It'd be fun. So I did. And I, I took classes and I got much better in Italian. <laughs> By the time I got home, the Opa picked me up. My father picked me up at the airport and he said, first thing he said, Wow, you've gained weight <laughs> because of all the good Italian food. I put on a, a number of pounds, which of course then went went once it's fabulous back in Germany. We call it today the freshman 15. <laughs> yeah. That was when we leave that. home, sometimes that happens, you know, yeah. we get a little extra padding. Cause that was your first time that you officially were away from home yeah. for that long. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of things that I, I want to go back to because I just think it's such an interesting point to note because you and I together, we have a lot of conversations about how things are evolving, you know, between both of our generations and and with with I never thought about it. Right. Because you all made it available for me to go to university. I really appreciate that, by the way you know, that you, you planned for me to go, you supported me to have education. I never thought that that wasn't an option for me. And I didn't realize until you shared, you know, with, with much love and respect, of course, for Helmut, that was not, had nothing to do with him. Just in that, in your generation, the thought was that if there's a, a male in the family, yeah. that the male will get education first. Yeah. 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 And that is thankfully 
very different and still, you know, evolving even today as to what education is available to whom and when and to what budget level and all of that. Right. But that I remember when you shared that with me, that really surprised me because, of course, knowing you, you are, as you shared, but you are a fierce learner fierce. <laughs> like, and I never I thought, I never thought I had that until recently. And now I can't stop. I just, I want to, uh, I just love personal growth. I love learning. And it's something that I would say, you know, I really appreciate and admire about you because it, it is something that really, I think keeps us youthful and connected to how things are evolving if we're open and we're learning and we're exploring something new, whether that's a new language or, you know, anything that is of interest to us. I think that it's a really wonderful technology. Place in life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's very important. And to me, that was really number one. When we had school vacation, I would take the books home and I would study at home because I want to be prepared. And, and when the school year started again, it was kind of a nerdy time, maybe <laughs> you would call that. Where do you think that came from? What what inspired that? When did you notice that in yourself? I think, yeah, it was really a drive. And I, I was thinking about that the other day. Maybe. It stemmed from the fact that I saw with my own eyes how women, especially then mothers, are handicapped if they don't have a profession. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason, forgive me, but I did start telling you over it's and okay, over I'm again. Okay, I'm pretty driven. How, how, how <laughs> Everyone who knows me through this podcast, knows me at all, will know. But I'm sort of proud of that. I'm sort of proud of that. I'll come, I'll circle back to that. I don't, I felt sometimes I feel that as women, we still have to apologize for that. And as creatives, we have to apologize for that. And I'm, I'm getting a little uh, feisty and digging my heels in and saying, it's okay if that's not how you're built or how you're just okay. And you can find success in your way, but let's also not fault or, penalize people who feel very driven and that that feeds them in some way. So coming back to you, so you think that it was, well, you saw situations growing up where you had zero, it must've felt like you had zero control over any outcome of just basic needs and safety and food and care and a roof over your head. I mean, that is, you know, it's, It's unthinkable, really, that anybody would experience that, especially as a child, when you you already don't feel like you have any you're you know, you're just kind of born into your situation and you're at, you know, I don't know if that's the right word, but it just comes to mind. You're sort of at the mercy of your surroundings and what's going on. But then when you add in an ultimate survival of life and death on top of that. Right. That's and, unimaginable, unthinkable to me. And I don't, I don't know what that's like. You know, most right. of us don't know what that's like, thankfully. Well, you, you bring up a good point because one of the things that really 
marked me, maybe marked my life and has stayed with me all these years is the fact that we became refugees. Within a few hours, we were loaded, my, my mother, Oma, and three little girls. So Gaddy was three, I was five, and Ingrid was eight, on an open truck with just a few things we were wearing. And they drove us out of town, and the town was being attacked. And then Russians came in and uh, devastated the town. We made it out as the last transport and then over bridge it uh, into the Alps. And then they um, destroyed the bridge. So we could, they could, not, uh, we could not be followed. But do you have a visual is, memory of that, like a visceral? Oh, I do. Yeah, yeah I, I, I do very much. Yeah, not only that, because the, and you can hear as soon as I talk about it, my, my voice restricts. Yeah. The um, air, airplanes came over the convoy and they tried to, tried to attack the whole convoy. Wow. So we, we were safe. We, we, we got out, but just with, what we wore on on our bodies that was a, and Is then that you had Oma with with three little three kids little and then tried to survive yeah for nearly a year like that for nearly unwelcome everywhere we went was yeah. that um was that when you had your little teddy bear by the way is that the yes, one that you the had teddy bear, yeah remember your clothes and your teddy bear with uh, at the at little fountain where we would get our water outside the house yeah we, it was hot yeah yeah and was that the time that you then were brought back into that town and Oma started sewing to make ends meet was or was that a different time no that was during that time what she did is uh, so we had absolutely nothing um i uh, uh, i went around begging with a little can because it was out uh, where uh, farmers peasants lived and i would go and beg for a little milk and sometimes i would get it and sometimes i would not and ingrid did the same or we would would find potatoes in the pig's drop, drop. and and we took, took the potatoes that they had thrown to the pigs. We we tried to get things like so things like that. So it was you know pure survival. And then Oma managed later to to get back and get the head of the, his her sewing machine. And then she started repairing clothes and making clothes for peasants. And that's how we really survived in begging. Yeah. Because at this time, I mean, Opa wasn't there because he was forced, yeah, he's war. forced yeah. to fight in Russia, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we were we we led into this speaking about how that would absolutely influence a desire for self-sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we talk a lot about generational, you know, it, it's very um, emotional for me to hear your stories. It's as if on some, I mean, I just, obviously I feel for you and I am, I 
I try to imagine what that may be like, but I, I wonder sometimes, and I think we're coming to understand that generationally, we sometimes carry that too, you know, that I see there, I remember there was a incredible um, movie. I feel like it was called Laura Lie, the name Laura Lie, L-O-R-A-L-E-I. I think I told you about it. And it was specifically about a girl who went through what you did. Um, at that time in the war. And it was really difficult for me to watch, really difficult as if somehow I experienced a part of that, or I just, I just felt so much because Oma would tell stories, which we love, right? Sitting around the kitchen table in Germany is your favorite. It's one of my favorites. It was very comforting, but I find that, that uh, Oma told stories from a very optimistic and resilient standpoint. I never, she never really talked about it as my goodness, how devastating it must've been or how she must've just, how she even survived. It was like, she survived, they did it. They, they stayed together. They had four healthy children for the most part, you know, and you're, I mean, your family to me, as I know, I'm the granddaughter, but I love your family. I just think how incredible that you all have remained, uh, well, you're a sibling so close you had over all these years and, Oma and Opa, <clears throat> it goes, see, it goes in my throat too. Oma and Opa were together for six, well over 60 years. I mean, they met in their twenties with an entire life and vision that included none of yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Thinking about how we started the conversation about how life, life is what happens when you're making these other plans, but then to look back and I was thinking, um, you know, Ingrid always talked about the red thread, die rote Faden. And as we, I had created that whole fabric line for some who may remember that was all inspired by design inspiration from Germany, but also that concept of the red thread and how there's this through line and how some of the beauty, I think, in what happens that's unplanned is an example of you feeling inspired and called to learn Italian and then ending up with a job in Italy without knowing that. You know, there's this way where we sometimes can feel like we're being buffeted around by life. And there's another way that if we decide to trust what's calling us that there might yes. be something yeah. there yeah. right very, very true don't question it too much if it feels right do it yeah actually uh, then the the italian uh, language skills which then had improved got me the other job um, as a, as an interpreter and hostess at uh, the one one hundredth anniversary of the Italy's unity it was one year big uh, celebration and different countries were invited and Germany took part, had a pavilion and uh, um, had uh, certain certain subjects that they do really well in Germany and then they had hired five girls who knew Italian to be hostesses in that pavilion for the year. 
And that's how I got, it was a terrific, it was a terrific job. So I lived in Torino for over a year and uh, did that, that work. It was, it was just a lot of fun. Yeah. Would you say that after everything you had been through before, did this feel like a particularly free and just wonderful time for you in life? Yeah. Yeah. There was also a little Italian boyfriend. that. Well, that's helped. always nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was Gianni. Giovanni. <laughs> As we joke and say, maybe I would have been half Italian. <laughs> But I was meant to be this version of me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, I was. Well, just I would like to come back to this conversation around feeling especially driven and independent. And so these aren't obviously at that age, they're not these conscious decisions that we're making. You're just deciding, I you're just feeling that and following it. Did you find, was Oma very supportive? Was everyone supportive about your dreams and your desires to learn? And they supported that as best they could. Yeah, yeah, especially Oma, my mom. She yeah. uh, she was my cheerleader throughout, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I always tell you she was for me too. <laughs> Yes, she is a very good cheerleader. I think I may not have finished the thought of, you know, I would listen to the stories when I was younger and it didn't land the way it does now, uh, knowing more. And of course, I'm sure that's just, you know, part of being insulated and being a certain age and not realizing what's happening. But looking at it now at the age that I am with much more understanding or seeing what's happening in the world um, especially in regards to war, I just really, really think, gosh, how did she do that? And how did she make it? And how did she arrive at that stage of life with such an, a basically optimistic view of life? I didn't, I didn't ever feel that that left her. You know, I always felt that she was focused on on what she enjoyed out of life. Is that fair to say? I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it, yeah. Her life was the family. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that we were all, after all of this, you know, we were all together. Was, was, uh, was, I think she looked at it as a reward. Yeah. So she never took it for granted, did she? I'm sure. No. Was, no. Yeah. And at the same time, when we think about it now, we, we piece together the red thread. I mean, she was very self-sufficient and I mean, she had her own business too, didn't she? Or she was helping Opa and his business. Yeah, his business. But then not only that, she ended up, yeah, that was also remarkable. Like she was probably maybe 55. I'm not sure now. She got a, a job. Uh, because they needed the income. She got a job with a church as a bookkeeper. And she learned, she taught this herself through Opa's business. She got very good at it. And then, you know, at that point, you still wrote all the numbers by hand. <laughs> and you yeah. added up. Uh, 
and uh, she was really very good at it. Not only that, she discovered that her uh, predecessor um, had uh, uh, changed some of the numbers, and they discovered that uh, the woman before her had walked off with some some of church's money. So uh, she and she she was there until she retired. So she actually got a little retirement income as a result of that. Yeah, yeah it was amazing. Yeah. And she loved it. She yeah. Opa didn't like it so much because he now was alone at home. <laughs> she <laughs> went. She had a wonderful time. She was I, recognized. She was yeah. appreciated. And she earned uh, a, a sort of a living. Yeah. I think I remember visiting when she was still doing that before she officially sort of retired from that um, position and how much she enjoyed it. I have like faint memories of that. What was it like for you being a more driven, independent and ambitious woman at that time and also in Europe? Did you feel that the world was receptive to you? Did you just surround yourself with a community of people or friends who understood that and were with you on that journey? Or did you find resistance sometimes? No, I think there was still, as women, we were still put in our place very much. As long as you stayed in your place, uh, it, it was okay. And, uh, you know, I... I got this job with TWA as a ticket agent in Frankfurt. And then eventually, um, I'm trying to remember what with TWA, and then I had the chance to apply as a, as a, a flight hostess, a TWA hostess. And the only reason I got this job is because they knew, TWA knew me already, the people who hired me, because I had one disadvantage. I was short-sighted and you could not with the vision I had you could not go they somehow didn't notice that and uh, a friend of mine who applied too did not get in I, I didn't think I would you know I would even be accepted I kind of did it as the favor to her so that, that's out of reach for me but I got I got in and I, I got it well, it's a very funny. Well, I think it's a very funny story of what yeah, you but, said but to wait, them. Wait, wait, <laughs> it gets better at the end. They, uh, TWA gave us this long training. I think it was five weeks, six weeks. They even sent us to Kansas City. And, you know, you have to jump into the pool just to make sure you slide out. Uh, oh, wow. Like that. So, they, yeah, they have physically training too. And where everything was on the fly, on the airplane. So anyhow, oh, maybe a week before our graduation back in Paris, the doctor, the French doctor that TWA, who represented TWA, called me in his office and said, Erica, you, you're short-sighted. You actually you can't, can't fly. And I said, you're telling me this now <laughs> because I left my job. I've been through five weeks of training. So he looked at me and he says, well, how much can you see if the cabin is full of smoke? And I said, just like everyone else, nothing. He said, okay, you're in, just don't talk about it. Can you imagine? <laughs> I think that's such a good story. It, it really but is. it's true. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I was at the point I did not need uh, glasses yet because at the time we could not wear glasses. If you wore glasses, you were not accepted. And you were considered unattractive. Was that part of it? Yeah, they they, you, they did not want women with glasses. Oh the my time. goodness! Yeah, these very... are the stories that I'm like, what? <laughs> so, <Yeah>. so <laughs> when you were. Well, you mentioned everything was fine if you were in your place. So in your place meant that you were reaching for positions that were for you or your Mm -hmm. gender. You also looked a certain way. I mean, do you want to talk a little bit about that and what that was like for you? I mean, you, you didn't question it because that's just how it was exactly exactly for instance one example maybe is how uh how the uh hiring process for flight attendants was at the time of course they wanted several languages because that's why they came to to paris they had from all over europe so everybody spoke maybe three four languages and um, then they inspected you as maybe models might still be looked at these days. I had to walk. They wanted to see if I had very close veins. I had to take off boots because I was wearing boots for the interview. I had to take them off and walk, of course, in front of men. And then they told you the length of the hair, the color of the lipstick, the the color of uh, the nail polish, the, the height of the shoes, the, the uh, and uh, and then you know all of this. And at, the, at that time, women could not become um, supervisor of the cabin, the the purser, the the purser thing that had to be men. That eventually changed. Also, you could not be married. You could not have children. And I think, if I remember correctly, I think they wanted us, uh, they, we would lose the job at 32 or 35, something like that. I mean, that was it then. So, so this is how we started. And look where women are today. Right? I know. Well, so being a flight attendant at that time, what you were dealing with is what, well, I don't think models are told they can't be married or can't have children, but certainly they're studied for their physicality. I don't know what's happening now because we're expanding what body types are considered. You know, thankfully we're expanding different to different body types and different looks and all of that just in recent years. But that's basically what you were going through as a flight attendant. And then they're also worried, can you take care of everybody physically and... Wow, it's just so fascinating. I know this skips us in a slightly different direction, but what has this been like for you to see this evolution since I guess we would say the Me Too movement, you know, which isn't very long ago. I guess now it's officially going on six years, but what was that like for you and what you had been through in your generation to see that a lot of this is starting to come to the surface and that people are standing up you know, for their rights and. Yeah, well, the, the, here's the thing. When you are in that period, for us, this was the normal. This was the norm and nobody questioned it. 
Yeah. You see, we 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 did not think what what rights as a human being we had. We were really happy to 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 get the job, and we did what we were told. And nobody questioned it, you know, do they have a right or could they do that? This all came later. And uh, as a matter of fact, um, not too long ago, I heard about a woman. She was in politics in Washington. And she slips here in Sarasota. I think she was 91. So I called her and I said, I want to thank you for what you did for the flight attendants at the time, because she managed to get a law through, and I think it was that the age limit was discrimination or something like that, the first time. And because of her then, we did not have to uh, resign at 32 or 35. So she was here and there, and she said, you know, you're the first time I hear someone say thank you for my efforts. Mm -hmm. I said, you have no idea the impact it has on what you did for uh, this profession. Yeah. Well, and how did you become the supervisor then if that wasn't available for you originally? the as is, well, I, I was, I guess, at the time I was referring to the person position that oh, was always okay. a man, yeah. Uh, as a supervisor, then it depended on your uh, what what the company thought of you. So, I, I had not uh, fight for it. this was a promotion, but I would only supervise the, the women on the flight which was really kind of a neat job because I was in civilian clothes with a little badge supervisor and I, I was strolling <laughs> up and down. The, you like the to supervise. <laughs> yeah, smiling at the passengers. I didn't have to serve them. Smiling, <laughs> talking to them and then making my report at the end about the flight attendants that I was supervising <laughs> on that flight. That sounds, that sounds nice. Well, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice job. <laughs> And just, just for the timeline, I know I've, I've uh, brought up different areas of this, but so you went to Italy, you had the first job at the ticket counter. Is that right? Or I'm just trying to connect the dots. And then you went to Torino or Torino was the first job in Italy? No, the Torino was, I had the uh, hostess flight, uh, Ground hostess job with LAI, then went to, on, upon the invitation to Rome for, I think I was nearly eight months or nearly a year there. Then I came back, then I worked three years for TWA as a ticket agent in Frankfurt. Oh, and then did. I saw the oh. ad in the paper and it said, well, the, it was actually the German government was looking for women personnel maybe who spoke Italian other than English and maybe French well it was perfect for me so I applied and here I went we even had cute little uniforms with Germania on the little hats <laughs> well and you say here you went so you went back to Italy or where yeah you? that's yeah. when I went to, to, to Reno the first okay time I was so in you Rome. were in yeah. you went to Rome then back to Germany, then to then, Torino. Yeah, yeah. And then how did that lead you to Paris? Because was that the next 
step? No, then I no. came back to, that was only year contract because this was a one year, I forget how they call it, it's kind of a world world affair something just to celebrate the independent 100th anniversary of the independence of it. Okay. And um, the unity. So, um, so yeah, I came back and then I actually I started working for Pakistan International Airlines as a ticket agent in the uh, in the uh, office in town. That the airlines at the time had offices in town, and uh, I was the supervisor there for ticketing. And as a result of that, I ended up twice that year in Pakistan, and. Uh, I, I took uh, invited guests from the company to to Pakistan, especially business people, because the company wanted to introduce German uh, business um, uh, German business uh, people to uh, to how to do business in in Pakistan, and it was also the government was involved too. So the invitation came actually um, from the government and I spoke German and I worked for PIA and here I went. And at, at, by the second time I was I have actually the photo of me at the border from Pakistan to Afghanistan up the Hyber Pass. And then we had actually a little bus accident, but we were all okay. So you, this was when you went from the, that Italian job to Pakistan. So that was before Paris. Isn't it interesting how I have my own highlights of your, I'm like, I have my own idea of what your journey is. So it's good to have it mapped out. So Yeah, so that's you, right. You're right. I, I now have trouble remembering. Uh, I have started writing it down. Yeah, I, I um, so I, I worked it in downtown, had these two trips, fabulous trips. I was Kar- Karachi Rawalpini, then Peshawar Lahore, and then of course up the Hyber Pass, which is, you know, nowadays you can't, you couldn't do that. And I came back and then TWA had the interviews in Frankfurt where I was working. And so I went to the interview and then left Pakistan job to become a flight attendant. And that took you to Paris. And that took me to Paris. Yeah. Maybe Paris. did not yet speak French. Yeah, well, I did school French. We, you did? We okay. did? Oh, yeah. We did. Um, did you do English and French? Oh, yeah. Growing oh, yeah. Up? In- English uh, as in, in after fourth grade, fifth grade, and French too, and Latin. So yeah. there, was, there was a good base. Yeah. Yes. So then going there, did that feel, did any of this feel intimidating to you at all? The travel no. and being in different cultures. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think that is? <laughs> I, I, I was, I, somehow I felt that. I deserved that maybe, <laughs> and uh, I, I was always excited. I mean, always ready to, to for the next step. And, and no, I felt I felt very comfortable. 
Yeah. I'm, I asked that just because some people, you know, some people just, that's something that came easily to you that for a lot of people, it doesn't just a, a trip, a simple trip somewhere, let alone when you're thinking of that time and culturally, you know, the differences and the different language and, you know, we, you didn't have the internet. You did not no, have exactly. visibility of everything. I mean, now we're very global, right? We can look and see what might this be like? What might the people be like? We could actually make friends there ahead of time. And you didn't have any of that. You're just no. like, yes, I will do this and I will go and I will trust, obviously. You just trusted that you would find your way with that. And I feel like that's, uh, from my perspective, that's very, very brave, uh, courageous to just dive into all these different adventures and exciting yeah. at the same time. But yeah, it's exciting. Well, also think that uh, in a way I had a certain protection because of the airline when I was working and I was going on behalf of the Pakistani government, mm -hmm. really. So I... No, I, and they they put out the red carpet. I think so, I, uh, we saw this whole so group. saying you had some good meals and some good champagne. <laughs> no, they no, no drinking. No, not no, that no, red no, carpet. No, 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 no drinking, no. Uh, no, just the, the performances they had. Um, just, just for us, it was, it was amazing. Well, I'm those all getting excited. You get excited. Let's go. Let's go. So those two. No, it's not. It's not a good time anymore. But, it, but well, it yes. was very exciting. It was not easy. We ran into some ob obstacles. Yeah. Um, well, you were saying I'm not familiar with the Hyber Pass, and you're saying that's not something you could do today. What is it, and why couldn't you? Why couldn't well, you do that? The Hyber Pass is where. Uh, this, this was the only street to, to Afghanistan and where a lot of the wars have been taking place. Yeah. It's a horrific mountainous uh, country and uh, uh, has a lot of history. And um, the Taliban were in, and I saw some in these caves. They lived there. So um, actually, we had to sign a waiver that if anything were to happen to us while we were visiting these places, that the Pakistani government was not liable for us. So we were on our own, which so we all signed. You knew there was a certain level of danger going into this and you were... Yeah, yeah sort of. You, yeah. You know, and you felt younger, protected. Yeah, and I was yeah. with, you know, with the group. There were a number of men there, uh, yeah. mostly men. They were not, 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 except for one or two women. There was yeah. uh, business. So, yeah, no, it was, I... <laughs> I you loved it. Was Oma worried about you at all, or did she just trust she you? She never showed it. She never no. showed it. She, she knew that... Um, I was on my path, so whatever. I'm sure, but she always liked to hear the stories, didn't she? She yes. always wanted yes. to hear the stories yeah. of your yeah. travels. Yeah. So when you were then in Paris, did that feel like a more, well, not that you were looking for stability, but did you stay with that particular job 
So you were a flight attendant by the time you moved there. That was your role, right? You weren't on the ground. You were flying out of Paris. Yeah. Um, then after they, I got hired as a flight attendant, we had to all move. Whoever got hired had to live in Paris. So we moved. Such a terrible thing, huh? <laughs> I know. Actually, that's when He's... I made, made friends with Barbara. You remember yeah. Barbara? So you, did you meet Barbara through TWA, TWA. the airline? And but she was German also, so you had that little connection. But then you were right. both you met in France. Yeah, or was on, she on French? The way, actually, no, she was German. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you yeah, meet was, and decide to be roommates right away, or we figured that was the cheapest way? Yeah. I, <laughs> Do you want to tell us about yeah. the apartment? <laughs> I mean, European apartments are notoriously smaller in general. Well, but then you, you, you it really was a hotel to, room, right? It was more like really a hotel. Want to, yeah, you really want to hear the story. Here we go. It yeah. was uh, it was a building. It used to be a hotel, and then became, uh, you know, no. That actually, I always thought that that's not right. I think that these were the small rooms for the. Maid service. It was where we, the wealthier French always had maid service and they were living in the building. And this room was, well, it, it looked like a little hotel room. It belonged to one of the families who lived in the building in a beautiful apartment. So it was just a room. And then there was a bathroom, and the bathroom exists of one of those little sit toilets, sit bathtubs. You have the toilet, then we had a plastic curtain, and then we had a little two-burner uh, stove to cook and a little fridge, tiny fridge. And this was all in the same space. In the, in the, <laughs> the burner was by the toilet. Did you say that you could sit on the toilet and cook yourself? <laughs> not, not quite. It was a little, too, too a little further but away. We had to arrange who went what, when and what was cooked. <laughs> and, yeah, and then we had one closet, a wooden closet uh, for the clothes, small closet for our clothes. And we had one table, two chairs. And then we had, it was probably sort of, queen size bed or not even maybe double bed together so since most of our of the time we were not on the same schedule so when she left I was there and vice versa but the few times we were there together we took one of these the oreiller the long pillows you know the, like a roll and we put this in between us so <laughs> each one had a little side it worked out well and a lot of times you were on different flying schedules yeah, yeah, so right. you were sort of yeah. passing in the night and right we hardly ever were were home so it worked out <laughs> yeah well I know we're just at the beginning of the story we're already an hour in <laughs> so I thought maybe we'll we would pause here and that we could do this again if you would like and if there are you know, if I post this out into the world and if there are any questions that anybody has, we can also invite them to ask some questions because that really, would you say that 
going to Paris was a start of a whole new season of life for you? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> because that that first year of my flight, I also met your father. Right. <laughs> and the, that changed, well, that and changed let's just, my whole life. Yeah, let's, so let's just say, you know, it's interesting that you chose not, you were engaged to Johnny in Torino, but he had a different vision for your life than you did, right? right. right. Which was? Well, he wanted family, he wanted bambini, and Erica wanted trouble. Yeah. And that did not work well. <laughs> it did not work well. So did you, I know this is changing now too, right? But did you feel pressure or judged like you weren't settling down? Did you feel a biological clock ticking or was the drive to travel and adventure was just so strong? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, was, I was young too. Yeah. I, uh, no, this, this was, I had never any doubts that this was my way. <laughs> that, that was your way. You didn't second guess it. It's, yeah. So would like you Frank, say... Like Frank Sinatra thinks life is going up and down, but I did it my way. My way, yeah. yeah. And it sounds like when you share this part of your story that you were really also filled with a certain amount of confidence that you just went for things. You didn't question, you didn't have self-doubt, you didn't seem to have fear. You just went for it. Yeah, I, I think probably there may have been some, but I just sure. ignored or, or overcame. I, I didn't question it too much. And you didn't think too much about it either, did you? No, Today I, we I talk trusted, a lot about this, yeah. I trusted that the way things literally fell into my lap, that this was the right thing. And I, I really never questioned it. Yeah. Where do you think that that came from? How did you know that? I had trust in the universe. And that Without was really brilliant. understanding. Like today, they talk a lot about it. I just trusted that I was being guided somehow. I, it was just there. And did that come from any kind of early church experience or yeah. faith? It was just something that you tr you intuited i would say you intuited yeah. and then you just decided to trust it and not question it yeah. yeah and is that something that you ever had a conversation with anyone about did oma ever talk to you about that or any other teacher or adult in your life that suggested this to you no i think at the time no uh, oma just trusted she just somehow knew that things were going to work out well with, uh, for me and now it it was just that was it you just decided it sounds so uh, simple and wonderful really <laughs> like why why do we end up questioning all these things so much you know well, I think if if you went through really a hard time and you're really young and then the world opens up like that, you just embrace it. You, you don't yeah. question it. You, you embrace sure. it. And I think that 
that is one thing maybe that helped. Uh, yes. Maybe in some ways today we have a, a little bit of a, you know, we have a little bit of a luxury to spend so much time in our heads thinking about, is this the right choice or is right. this not the right mm -hmm. the choice? Will I have regret or will I not? You know, we, we're almost, this is just a new thought to me recently. We have so much opportunity, so much possibility that we almost become paralyzed in the decision-making process. We're not willing necessarily to take what are even very, in comparison, really very minimal risks in the direction of our passion, our dream, or what's calling us. You are willing to take much bigger leaps. You know, on one hand, it's wonderful to have uh, this awareness and a consciousness and be able to have an understanding about how and why we're making the choices that we are. On the other hand, it can really keep us in that state of just overanalyzing versus taking action and, and allowing that to lead wherever it leads. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. If you're already on, on a sort of a comfortable level, then you are much uh, more reluctant to get, uh, get the next step. But for me, each time, it was such an such a huge step that uh, uh, how could you not, you know, how, how could you not go for it? Yeah. So there wasn't a part of you, I would imagine, but I don't want to make assumptions, you know, that a lot of other women in your generation, they were either taught to, or they just accepted that, well, their next step is to find the quote unquote security and stability that would come with marriage and to have a family and that that would just be there would be no decision making other than that did you find obviously you had a different group of friends which is a very fun group of friends but in terms of your siblings I mean they certainly your sisters definitely went that direction you know they didn't ha share the same sense of adventure and they they ended up having a family much earlier in life and you know sort of building that that life I'm just wondering what it was like if that's how women were feeling at the time that well we don't necessarily have all these options we're not even questioning that we're just going to look for the right partner or the most secure stable partner yeah, that that was that was the standard at the time, and and yeah. most women really had a job, not a career. Yeah, and uh, the job lasted until uh, came the time to have a family. Yeah, and you and were in search of a career and a lifestyle. A life, yeah, career lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, you were really an outlier. You're very, well, I tell you in a, in an, in an admirable way, you know, I tell you that I thank you for that because you, your forward thinking, you know, and ultimately, and that's why it'd be nice to pick up at that stage. I mean, you ultimately left Europe in, entirely. I mean, you came to a completely different culture, completely different life and, very, very different thinking and approach 
and you were doing all of that as we started to talk about, you know, when you move into the 70s and your own awareness of women's liberation and, right. you know, what you, right. and then your desire to go get an education. I mean, there's a, there's a lot, right? We're not doing it all today. <laughs> so you're, all of that was so forward thinking again. And I thank you because, you know, I was born into a parent that was interested in that and that was interested in new ideas and interested in in what was going on in the world and educating themselves and always kind of pushing a little bit further ahead. Because I know that you, you extend, you know, a compliment to me that I tend to be that kind of person, but I would extend the compliment back to you because that's how you are. You know, listening to you, I know we talk about this as as I've grown and how we get to connect at this uh, season of life and that I really have an opportunity to understand you more as a person versus, oh, you're my mom. And, you know, that's great. And you do these things, but it's like, who is Erica, this person? Right. And, right. and how it's so fascinating to me because I lo- I just love understanding that about people in a way that's grown over the years of really what forms us, you know, how does our life evolve? What are those choices that we make early on? Uh, It's so fascinating to me. And I really appreciate you sharing some of that because just in the conversation that we're having now, I have yet another understanding and perspective of you and awareness and appreciation. But I I think what 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 is happening is that... uh, the mother-child, mother-daughter relationship grows to a point where the daughter needs to look at the mother as a woman. As a per- what yeah, did, person. Yeah, as, as a, not at mom, but as a woman. And what did mom, what did she do? How did she do it? Why did she, did she not do it? And I think that gives a really completely different relationship because it, now you're much more even, on an even level, right? Yeah. Did you find, uh, since this will be airing close to Mother's Day, it's kind of a nice way to to wrap this episode, but did you find that you saw that in Uma? Did you come to understand and appreciate her life as you grew in your own life and then became a mother as well? Did you find that, oh, goodness, I really see her? Or were you always able to do that? You seem like you you were. You seem like you always had, you know, you weren't pushing against her. You always had a respect for her. And it was like a mutual respect that you had for we, each other. We, yeah, she we did really yeah. interfere with your dreams or try to hold you back not that anyone could have I could imagine yeah. and you respected what she had done to you know keep you safe and to have the family together and all of that is yeah that I think correct? you're right I think what really looking back is what I recognized very early on just how much she did and has done to keep us safe, how much she had to go through. And this awareness, I think, is a, is a result of what I witnessed myself, in, you know, by being literally by her side when a lot of this happened. 
Yeah. So yes, you're right. And uh, I always held her in really high esteem. I thought, you know, how she managed everything and how she did it is just, just incredible. And so some of it is in, in me too. And some of it I see in you because this, you know, this feeling that nothing is impossible. I can <laughs> do, I can try. I know. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit passionate about that. <laughs> go, go for it type thing. Yeah. And then yeah. if you feel it doesn't work out, you find uh, I do path. something else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's where I say just listening to you and imagining, you know, sometimes I have those moments where I go, oh, it'd be so fun to hang out with you, <laughs> you know, at that stage of life and know you as a, as a friend at that time and you and dad and what would it be like to come to your dinner parties? And, you know, I just imagine what, what that would be like. And, uh, I just think, you know, I really admire that you have so much courage. You know, I think certainly being an only child, you know, going through the life experience I went through early, which was very different. I had a lot of like self-reflection and um, even really being able to be selfish and sort of self-absorbed and like what's going on in my world. You know, it's very different. Like you said, I'm seeing so clearly how what you went through early was such a huge challenge that you made through that made it through that it just nothing could quite be the same after that. Right. And I didn't have I had other challenges, but I didn't have that. You know, my survival right. was not at stake in that way. And and it allows me almost to be indulgent in in my own kind of feelings. And I still had my own version of courage and bravery and like adventure and desire, but I can really get caught up in that stuff. And you realize that's not necessarily. Yeah. Let let me me just say one, one little caveat, maybe it was not all smooth sailing each time. I mean, in each adventure, they were also uh, roadblocks, hazards and, disappointment but overall what I like to remember now is just the incredible uh, uh, lifespan that I had during that time yeah well I appreciate you saying that because I know you know we are also at a time where we're trying to not just present everything as one note because it isn't right. for anybody it is not exactly. and acknowledging and at the same time there is something to be said for you know we always have choices in life if we're looking back what do we want to focus on why wouldn't we focus on the highlights of the red thread. We don't have to continually go back and relive a disappointment. You know, the only time I like to do that is when the disappointment became something better than I thought (laughs) that it could be. Then I love it. Then I go, oh, this was so great that it worked out this way because we are all going through our individual challenges and, and struggles. But it's nice to... I mean, would you say that that's 
where you are now, do you find that you lean more towards that level of appreciation in terms of, you know, just looking back, especially at that time in particular? Does it feel like a special time for you? Yes, yes. I'm more than ever, I'm really grateful where I am. Um, really grateful and sometimes amazed looking back of what, you know, what I've done. I also recognize the pain. There's a lot of pain, too, that came later. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful. Every day when I wake up, another beautiful day. And I think the universe that this, this is another good day and I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it a great day. Yeah. And I think to get up every morning and just say this out loud and say, this is, uh, this is going to be my great day. Yeah. Gives you, gives you more energy. Yeah. Well, it's a wonderful intention. That's a good, a good pausing point. And I thank you for sharing so much of your story. I've really appreciated it and enjoyed it. And it's nice to have, you know, um, to have, have it all mapped out elements of it. And so you can see how you feel. And if, if it's okay with you, we release this. And if you want to continue and share more of the story, I, I would certainly love it. You can decide. Yeah, I, I guess. (laughs) What do you think? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I do for me selfishly, whether it goes anywhere or not, I would like the story. And if, if people are enjoying it, you know, I think that these stories are so important to share. And I think it's really powerful when we get to have, you know, multiple generations talk about things that are going on from a perspective of understanding, of no judgment, of, of just, gosh, isn't this so interesting, like how far we've come or things that are coming up again that we don't want to repeat. You know, there's just so many elements of, of that whole experience, but I think it's really special to be able to share those kinds of stories. And as this goes out, you know, over Mother's Day and um, we we can talk more about fathers as well, but certainly there's a special bond between mothers and daughters. Um, there's like a special relationship just within that combination. And it's interesting to explore um, as well. So, Well, I thank you for being so interested in, in my life. It's wonderful. One day I'm going to show you also photos of some of them. Some of those I remember. These are black and white photos still. And yeah, that was fun. It was, for me, it was tense at times. I noticed that I was really starting to stiffen up because of some of the memories. But I do appreciate, thank you for your courage. To, yeah. to do that it was wonderful and um the same for you and we'll well I'll pause um I'll pause it now and then we'll see we'll see how it goes and if you want to come back for more in our okay. 
and my community can let me know, but I certainly enjoyed it. So thank you. Okay, well, thank you. Big hug. Big hug. Creative Thursday is recorded by me, Marisa. You can find all things Creative Thursday at creativethursday.com and learn about how I can support you in building and growing your thriving artist business at creativethursdaycourses.com. Be sure to hit subscribe to get the next episode as soon as it drops. And if this episode has inspired you, share it with a friend and fellow creative and leave a positive review so that more listeners can be introduced to the Creative Thursday message and mission to empower artists to know their worth, value their work, and consistently artfully sell to their ideal collectors online so that they can make more beautiful art all in support of living a life they love Coming together as a creative community, we uplift and support one another while encouraging and being an example for more people all over the world to dream big and believe in what is possible for them.